This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the health department reports 72 more fatalities from COVID-19. It's the second day in a row where the death toll was under 100, and the governor is thrilled that the overall positivity rate is headed in the right direction. We are happy to see single-digit positivity statewide for two days in a row. Uh, we had been mired in uh, 15, 16 percent. We did have it go down to 11, 12. And then to see this, um, you know, decline, I, I hope that that trend continues. I think people have really been doing their part to, to make sure that it does. But two days of improvement is not exactly what you would call a trend. And Ron DeSantis says there continue to be problems with a testing program. Obviously, if you're somebody that is symptomatic and you don't get your results back for seven days, that is not uh, helpful uh, for our asymptomatic test takers. Uh, if it takes seven days, then the test is basically useless at that time. So beginning today, the state-run COVID-19 testing sites at Marlins Park and Hard Rock Stadium in Miami-Dade will offer 15-minute tests for people who have symptoms or are 65 and older. The governor's latest initiative to cope with coronavirus is called One Goal, One Florida. But Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed says that doesn't cut it. We have never needed more to be united in our response and our common defense than right now. Yet we find ourselves as divided as ever over simple things like wearing a mask and keeping our distance. So Freed, who's been pretty much ignored by the governor since the start of the crisis, has come up with her own initiative. It's called Be Smart Florida. Among other things, she says masks should be mandatory. Today on Sunrise In Depth, you'll hear from graduate assistants at the University of South Florida who say USF is using the COVID crisis to screw them financially. USF has repeatedly shown that it's willing to use the pandemic as leverage to step on us, to make our already meager working conditions in good times, to make them worse in bad times. Using a textbook employer strategy where they never let a good crisis go to waste. The tropical storm that went cruising up Florida's Atlantic coast over the weekend is no longer our problem, but the governor says it did give them a chance to test new procedures for sheltering during a pandemic. We had the opportunity to beta test the new sheltering strategy, uh, which we had to evolve in light of the coronavirus. We'll also check out your calendar of events and check in with a Florida man accused of murdering a fast food worker because the food wasn't fast enough. Can you imagine being shot to death over Burger King? And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, August 4th. The state health department reported 72 fatalities from COVID-19 Monday, increasing Florida's overall death toll to 7,279. But it's the second day in a row where there were fewer than 100 fatalities, and Governor Ron DeSantis says the positivity rate is also headed down. We are encouraged by some of the trends we're seeing. Uh, we continue to see a, a downward trend in visits to the emergency department with people with COVID-like illnesses. Uh, we've seen uh, a peak in COVID-positive patients that are hospitalized statewide uh, happened the, the third week of July. Uh, we continue to see that census uh, decline. Today, we reported one of the lowest numbers of positive tests that we've reported in a long time, and we've had two days in a row where the positivity um, has been 9%, uh, which uh, we were 15 16% there uh, for a while. So, um, you know, these are encouraging trends. Obviously, there's a lot of more work to do. Part of that work is coming up with a better COVID testing program. The governor says long waits to get results are making it a lot tougher to deal with the disease. So the state is setting up a system with two locations in Miami-Dade to try to speed things up. 
turnaround times that a lot of the commercial labs uh, have just um, been, been moved to the right more and more. You have longer wait times. Uh, obviously, if you're somebody that is symptomatic and you don't get your results back for seven days, that is not uh, helpful. Uh, for our asymptomatic test takers, uh, if it takes seven days, then the test is basically useless at that time because even if you were infectious at the minute you tested, by the time you get it back, you probably haven't been isolating anyways, and you're likely to not be infectious on the back end of that. And so uh, increasing the times is something that we're looking to. So, you know, I asked Jared Moskowitz to uh, make some changes to try to do that. So uh, starting tomorrow, uh, we're going to have some real positive changes. We're actually going to convert two of our sites in Miami-Dade County, the Marlin Stadium and Hard Rock Stadium, to exclusively 15-minute antigen tests. Uh, the test will be for people that have symptoms or for elderly 65 and older. There'll still be a lane for the traditional testing for, for the other asymptomatic people, uh, but that'll be the traditional swab with the traditional lab. But for those folks uh, who are older or who are symptomatic or both, uh, you're going to be able to go in get the antigen test, and in 15 minutes walk out with a result. That's not only good for the, for the test taker and the patient, it's also good for officials monitoring the trends. When we get tests reported to the state, sometimes those tests were taken 10, 14 days before. Certainly the infections in many cases happen 10 to 14 days before. So if you're looking at things like the positivity rate or some of these other things, uh, a lot of times that data can be stale. Now we're going to get every day uh, at these two sites, total of 1,250 tests, we're going to be able to get real-time uh, data about the percent testing positive, the number of people testing. And so I think it'll be really, really good. Uh, people want to know and want those results back. Speaking of results, the health department confirmed 4,752 additional cases of COVID-19 Monday, bringing the state's known total to almost 492,000. There's a very good chance that we'll pass the half million mark when the new numbers are released today. The governor's latest initiative to fight COVID-19 is called One Goal, One Florida. But Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed says that one doesn't cut it. COVID-19 remains out of control in Florida. With 487,000 cases and 7,000 deaths since March. With 8,000 Floridians hospitalized right now, we have never needed more to be united in our response and our common defense than right now. Yet we find ourselves as divided as ever over simple things like wearing a mask and keeping our distance. Over the past four months, I've spoken with so many people, families, big and small businesses, and parents, farm workers, and teachers. A common thread has been that all our state leaders need to speak clearly and lead by example on what we all must do together to beat COVID-19. My heart breaks for the families who have been forever changed by the loss of loved ones. It breaks my heart every single time I talk to my mother who has just experienced going through cancer or my 90-year-old grandmother, and I have to tell her that I cannot guarantee that she'll be safe because not enough people are doing the small things to slow down COVID-19. 
It breaks my heart for all those who are scared, scared to send their kids to school, scared to go into businesses, scared of where we go from here. Please know that someone in Florida's leadership hears you, has heard you from the beginning, and will continue to hear and speak up. To reopen our state and our economy safely, we must all be in this together. And together, we must all do the small things that make a big difference in slowing the spread of COVID-19. Freed has come up with her own COVID safety plan. It's called Be Smart, Florida. A new consumer awareness campaign that will remind Floridians of the essential science-based measures we must all do to slow the spread. SMART is an acronym that stands for S, social distance, M, mask up, A, avoid crowds, R, remember to wash your hands, and T, throw away disposable items like gloves, masks, and wipes. The Be Smart Florida campaign is about asking all Floridians to take small actions with proven results that helped reduce the spread. This nonpartisan, multi-channel awareness campaign will feature short videos from well-known Floridians and influencers, shareable graphics with important information, and a social media toolkit that encourages everyone to help spread the word. You'll see videos in the coming days from athletes from teams like the Miami Heat and the Miami Dolphins, from members of Congress, from local leaders like Mayor Francis Suarez and Mayor Rick Kreisman, from community leaders at the United Way and other organizations, and many more. In the coming weeks, we'll also begin airing radio PSAs and introduce other elements as well, all with a shared message that to beat COVID-19, we have to be smart, Florida. As Florida's Consumer Protection Agency, our department takes seriously the responsibility to help Florida's people, businesses, essential workers, and economy be safe. And with so many lives and livelihoods on the line, we don't have a moment to lose. So while there's a lot more that we need to do, including a statewide mask mandate, I'm hopeful that through increased awareness and working together, we will all do our part to beat COVID-19. So why is she doing this? Well, Freed says the governor went into lockdown too late, reopened the state too soon, never set up an effective contact tracing program, and doesn't enforce the safety standards in his own executive orders. As you all know, I've been frustrated, you know, that uh, we are trying to beat COVID together, and there just has been not the right messaging coming out from the leadership in the state of Florida. So we started working on this a few weeks ago, uh, and, and certainly would love um, everybody's voice united on this, and you know, certainly would welcome the governor to, to create one of these videos himself, and so that we are speaking in one voice. Part of this is also we've had no enforcement. There are mask mandates in certain areas. 
Uh, there are certain capacity limitations in restaurants and other businesses. And right now, there's been no enforcement, which is also why we opened up our own consumer hotline to receive information from consumers across the state of Florida so that we can also help local governments um, go in, do code enforcement, and to help. Um, but the problem is that we don't have the right contact tracing. Uh, that's been part of one of the bigger problems that we've had. And, and the reason why contract tracing is so important and essential is that when you start seeing spikes in certain areas, we have to be able to zone in on exactly what it's coming from. Is it coming from restaurants? Is it coming from gyms? Is it coming from the theme parks? And so I think that all options need to be on the table and to be discussed. Um, but we also need the buy-in from the citizens of our state, and which is why we need to have one voice in leadership talking through this, uh, making sure that we have a concise message that we all need to do this together. And that's also why I had asked for the shutdown to happen three weeks prior to the Governor Ashley initiating this. If we all had shut down earlier, um, kept, stayed closed because we, were, we opened prematurely without meeting the science and the data points that were even put out in the Governor's um, own plan, um, then we wouldn't be in this situation right now. That tropical storm system that soaked the east coast of Florida over the weekend is no longer a threat to the Sunshine State, but Governor DeSantis says it actually helped out to a certain extent. It gave emergency management officials a chance to try out their new system for sheltering evacuees during a pandemic. I want to thank the emergency management personnel uh, throughout the state of Florida. They prepared for Isaias, and we did not get the major impact that we were prepared for, which is a very good thing. Uh, but we did get a good trial run for what will likely be a busy hurricane season in particular, uh, we had the opportunity to beta test the new sheltering strategy, uh, which we had to evolve in light of the coronavirus. Uh, the state of Florida sent PPE kits and thermometers to all shelters in the storm's path and arranged for non-congregate sheltering options for people who either had or were suspected of having COVID-19, and it all proved to be very helpful. In Palm Beach, for example, we had people show up to a shelter that had tested positive recently or who did not pass the temperature screening, and those people redirected to a nearby hotel where they had a safe place to stay until the storm passed. And um, I would just tell Floridians, there's been a lot of activity up to this point in the, in the, in the season. Uh, we do anticipate more storms developing, so uh, make sure that you have a plan. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we'll hope for the best on this, but we absolutely need to be prepared uh, for more storms. State Representative Randy Fine of Palm Bay has been hospitalized for COVID-19. He was admitted to Holmes Regional Medical Center after an x-ray showed he had serious lung damage. Fine tested positive for the virus on July 22nd. His two sons tested positive the same day, and his wife, Wendy, she had tested positive the day before. In a Facebook message, Fine said he's pretty scared, but he also said his odds are pretty good. One of the journalists who accompanied Donald Trump to Florida for his meetings with Governor DeSantis last Friday has tested positive for COVID-19. The Hill, a Washington-based political news site, reports the White House Correspondents Association is informing other members of the pool of journalists on that trip that one of them has tested positive and was in close contact with dozens of other journalists during the visit. That journalist also shared the room with a number of Florida officials, including DeSantis, Senator Rick Scott, and State Senator Wilton Simpson. The Correspondents Association did not identify the infected journalist. In the midst of the COVID crisis, graduate assistants at the University of South Florida have been in collective bargaining with the university, and they've decided negotiations are so bad it's time to go public. Next up on Sunrise, you'll hear from two grad assistants who say USF is trying to take advantage of the pandemic to increase their fees and the cost of their health insurance. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we're much obliged. The Florida Hospital Association has released the OPEN Plan, designed to allow Florida's safe resumption of elective surgeries and procedures. OPEN stands for O, 
Observe the COVID-19 rate of community occurrence. P. Prevent transmission. E. Establish the process to restore elective surgeries and procedures. And N. Network with all healthcare providers. You can read the open plan today at FHA.org. Welcome back to Sunrise. If you've been to a university, there's a 100% chance you were taught by a graduate assistant. These are students who already have their four-year degrees, and they're working for the university while at the same time they pursue an advanced degree. Graduate assistants at the University of South Florida in Tampa are negotiating their new contract now, but Samantha Shepard says those negotiations have devolved into gaslighting by an outside attorney who was hired to break their union. People are hurting right now. Instead of taking that into account, USF administration is using the pandemic as an excuse to exacerbate the hurt that some of their most vulnerable workers, graduate assistants at USF, are experiencing right now. In my PhD, I study manipulation tactics that powerful groups use to dominate others, and they all use the same playbook. One form of psychological manipulation is gaslighting, in which a person or group covertly sows seeds of doubt in a target individual or group, making them question their own memory, perception, or judgment to delegitimize the victim's beliefs. USF administration unapologetically uses these manipulation tactics to intimidate graduate assistants. USF administration has made me feel completely demoralized and stepped on. The fact that the university spent an ungodly amount of money on a union-busting lawyer with the sole purpose of making me feel this way is even more heartbreaking. The function of that meeting last week was to beat us down to give in to the university's terrible, immoral proposal. But I refuse to stay down when I'm beaten down. I refuse to give in to USF's gaslighting. USF works because graduate assistants do. USF graduate assistants are part of the Tampa Bay community. Universities are supposed to help the communities they are located in and the communities that they are a part of. We call on the Tampa Bay community at large to call and email USF Board of Trustees to demand the Board of Trustees find the money to invest in the public health and safety of over 2,000 graduate assistants before the fall semester, stop increasing our healthcare premiums during a pandemic, and stop making us pay to work amidst a global economic crisis. How bad is the pay for grad students? Well, Joanna Lawler says the only way she could pay the bills while working at USF was to sell her body by the pint. As an independent, frugal woman who entered the workforce at the age of 15, I was mortified that I could not make ends meet no matter how hard I tried. Because I feared the repercussions of violating my USF employment contract by finding another part-time job, I responded to this crisis by walking into BPL Plasma on Fowler Avenue. For USF administrators who have never been forced to sell pieces of their body in order to pay their bills, this is how plasma donation works. Your first trip to a new center takes hours. You have to bring documents proving your identity and place of residence, fill out a questionnaire about your medical history, submit to a physical examination, and have a sample of blood drawn. When this screening process is complete, your plasma is harvested for the first time. After waiting in a chair on the donor floor, sometimes for seconds, other times for hours, a large needle is painfully inserted into your arm. A machine extracts your plasma and then the other components of your blood are mixed with saline and returned to your body. 
The saline feels grotesquely cold as it is reintroduced to your veins. Finally, you are paid. Plasma centers often pay new donors special promotion amounts for their first few donations. Then your payment is based on the amount of plasma that you can produce at your body weight. You can donate plasma twice in a seven day period. Throughout my first year of graduate school, I donated plasma to multiple companies at multiple locations to capitalize on the special promotions. I was ashamed and did not tell anyone that I did this. Plasma donation side effects include dehydration, dizziness, fainting, lightheadedness, fatigue, bruising, discomfort, and infection. I dizzily walked to class and meetings wearing a sweater to conceal the bandage on my arm. I scraped by financially, but mentally and physically, I was struggling. Even after I vomited in February following a donation, I returned to the center the next week. I donated plasma regularly until I was willed $5,000 by my late grandmother. This inheritance has spared me from having to donate again. Most graduate students at USF do not earn a living wage. Even those who do are typically one broken laptop or car accident away from financial ruin. I, a childless white citizen with a middle-class background and no prior debt, find it impossible to make ends meet at USF without help. We should not have to take out loans, rely on familial support, or sell our body parts to survive. Grad assistants are the indentured servants of higher education, working long hours for low pay and little if any benefits. It's the price you pay for admission to academia. But if you have to risk your life for a job that doesn't even pay the bills, you have to ask yourself, what's the point? Your calendar of events begins at 9 with a meeting of the Early Learning Program's Education Conference. They'll be analyzing enrollment in the voluntary pre-kindergarten program. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission's Boating Advisory Council meets online at 1, and the Education Estimating Conference will take a close look at enrollment in the Florida College System beginning at 1.30. Finally today, a Florida man is accused of killing a fast food worker because his girlfriend's order took too long. The Burger King in Orange County was busy, the drive-in line was long, so long that one woman got out of her vehicle and began yelling that she was going to have her man come to the restaurant. They gave her back her 40 bucks and asked her to leave. Deputies say she came back a short time later with 37-year-old Kelvis Rodriguez-Torme, who demanded the 22-year-old Desmond Joshua fight him. A witness broke it up after Rodriguez-Torme put Joshua in a headlock and started choking him. Then he went back to his truck, came back with a gun, and shot the young man, who died at a nearby hospital. Rodriguez-Torme is charged with first-degree murder with a firearm, destruction of evidence, and possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. All for Burger King food. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.